Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 167. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a pause review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. It is the long-awaited part three of our series of interviews with Andrew Miller. But first, let's review how far we've come. In episode 165, part one of our discussion with Andrew, we talked about how he got into the IT industry through IT operations into business ownership and eventually into pre-sales. In part two, episode 166, we followed Andrew into management of two different types of teams. And we talked about what life inside a fast-growing startup was like. And we find at the end of that segment, Andrew trying to figure out how to deal with that and feeling that the only option he had was to take a pause. This week, we're going to drill into that a bit more. That decision to pause, to take a break from working anywhere for a little while. Andrew shares what his self-reflection and analysis process was like to even decide that. And that there's a lot more thought and planning that goes into this than just quitting one day randomly. So listen carefully. And I think you'll see that Andrew takes a step back into the individual contributor camp with his move to Pure. He's going to tell us what drew him to Pure Storage, what he does there today, and how he figures out where to focus his time to make the biggest impact. He'll also share some thoughts on what that principal role is in our industry and a little bit about what comes next for Andrew Miller. So let's get to it. This is part three and the conclusion of our trilogy of interviews with Andrew Miller. That can be really rough. I can see how you could, you know, be close to burnout after two years. Kudos to you for having the mindfulness of what was happening and the humility to say, I need to back off some. Did you come to that conclusion all by yourself? Did you have anyone outside yourself say something to you? I'm just really curious about that part. There's maybe a couple pieces there to pull apart. Uh, One is that I had previously between uh, Sirius and then Rubric taking some time off. I uh, was, was fortunate enough to be able to do that, go back to see my wife's family on the other side of the world. We traveled around with the kids for a little, for a couple months. Like just that's the sense of like, you know, you, you, Hey, well, I'll do this when I'm retired. Well, why not do it in the middle of your career? Now that requires a professional network and not burning bridges and some level of even um, trust and confidence in, in higher purpose kind of thing. And, and belief. The other piece there is that I saw, I, I, I'm fortunate that I didn't, and I'm kind of trying to think here carefully because I'm not trying to you know, sound super capable. I saw folks that I was working with that I'd 
maybe over the last year, year and a half, had really good working relationships with. And then I'd see them behave in ways that didn't seem like who they were. And I and the phrase would kind of be like, wait a minute, so-and-so, Patrick. That's not any of the people I'm thinking of. So if you're a Patrick out there, I'm not talking about you. But Patrick isn't like that. He must just be having a bad day, week, month. And then you see people that you'd worked with previously, in some cases constructively, start to feel threatened by new people coming to the organization. And they're not embracing the change and trying to grow with it and ride it. They're trying to be a little bit more of like, get off my lawn or don't do stuff. And then seeing that and and trying not to just be a, oh man, so, so-and-so, I'm, I'm going to write them off. But like, wait a minute, is there anything in me where I'm doing that or I'm becoming that person? Or can I feel shades of that? And sometimes you can because you see changes coming in that you can agree with at a theoretical level. And then you look at your energy bank and say like, at a practical level, can I lean into what I know is what I believe is the right thing to do mentally? And do I have the energy to do it? Or am I starting to be like, "Mm, this is good enough. I don't care. And that's not to say that you have to do every single thing perfectly. You know, good is the enemy of better or best, or I'm mangling the phrase, but I think, you know, perfect is the enemy of complete. Thank you, Brad Pinkston for (laughs) teaching me that lesson. Um, but that just even kind of looking inside of are you starting to get a little bit stretched? The other analogy I think of, because we haven't done any literary references today, would be in the first book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, where Bilbo says that he feels like uh, too little butter scraped across too much toast. I think I got that 50% right. Um, and you start to feel like how many different directions you're getting pulled. And can you reset those expectations? Or is it better? to just take a pause, step outside, and find the next thing. Now, the, the hardest part of that, frankly, is is leaving folks that you care about and that you've hired with the expectation of how you want to help and grow their careers. And there's this really hard balance as a manager of you've got family, you've got personal life, you know, capabilities, you, career, but you don't want to just run away like I'm out kind of thing. So it is it is a super hard decision. But it can't be, I mean, we're hiring adults and everyone is responsible for their own career. So you want to help as much as you can. But that's even what I think about. I say to folks, you know, like you, John, Nick, Andrew, hopefully we have bosses that care about our careers. But ultimately, no one's responsible for it except us, right? That kind of thing. For sure. Right. You just have to make sure that you're not hiring them with the implicit promise that you're going to be there. You know, like that person can't look you in the eye and say, listen, I'm coming here to work for you and not for the job or for this. Like that is, you know, a different kind of like personal contract that you have with somebody. And, you know, if that's the case, then you have to like figure out, I think, some something else. Like, can I, you know, going back to the stressors, can I ground myself? Can I take, you know, travel off of my plate? Can I take time zones off of my plate? Can can I, you know, go to my management and say, listen, we need to hire somebody for the European, uh, you know, time zone to take, you know, that stuff. And by the way, I can't travel outside of, uh, you know, the East Coast anymore. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, work past 5 p.m. Eastern time. I mean, and if I can do all those things, then I can keep on managing these 12 people. But I can't do everything. And sometimes that's just, you know, that's just not right for the organization. You know, and the organization needs somebody that can do all those things, right? And then that, I think what you're saying 
is if you realize that that is the case and that they can bring somebody in, then the right thing for you to do is leave or take a break or take a vacation or go on sabbatical. You know, it's very self-aware and I applaud you for that. I, you know, it also takes strength of character. Right. And, uh, and you said like a, you know, a certain like belief and, and maybe also like a sense of like financial, um, I would say maybe like you have to set yourself up for that, right? Because if you spent all of your money that you were earning that entire time period, then you don't have the flexibility to walk away. This was sometimes in that time, both after Sirius and then Rubric um, podcasts with Ken Hoy. Actually, I ended up hiring at Rubric, and then he's later over at AWS now. Love Ken, as well as uh, Keith Townsend. Uh, you know, and he because he stepped away and then went into a different role. But there, there's some good just basic financial principles, which sometimes we don't want to talk about money and tell people what to buy and everyone applauds when you buy big toys because they're fun and they're cool, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but the living below your means to provide that financial flexibility, it even uh, one thing that stuck with me is I, I went to a, uh, I went to a conservative Christian college and uh, there was an account, accounting professor there who just come out of working for the FBI and I, I set all this up for, I'm not going to, this is wandering toward right up to the edge of the language rule. But the he said in one of the accounting classes that you need to make sure to like freshmen and, and uh, sophomore students, you need to have a go blank you fund in case your boss asks you to do something that you don't believe you can ethically do. And he actually said the words in the classroom and everyone goes like, uh, did you just say that? You know, kind of thing. And he's like, I did because I mean it. And so not the that you, you want to flame out at a job and say, like, I'm out, I'm leaving kind of thing, but the ability to know that if you do need to leave, you'll be fine. And that means that you now don't have to flip the financial priorities on top of your marriage or your kids or other things that we, we all say and we believe should be the higher priorities. But if there's not the financial cushion there, it's very hard for them to be practically so. That's even some of like if you're a SE and a leverage compensation role, let's go back to that. Uh, live off your base because you never know what the bonus is going to be. You never know what the commission is going to be. And man, you don't need that quarter by quarter, month by month stressor on your life kind of thing. So I'll put a, I don't know if I should even put in a kind of a little bit of a Dave Ramsey plug. There's some good stuff there. Once we get to the investments and I'm like, mm, I go a little bit of a different path, but the, the level of we don't have to keep up with the Joneses and you can do uh, financial Security essentially gives you options. That's what it does. It gives you optionality. Discipline. That's the uh, financial discipline to to maintain like that, not have an escalating lifestyle, right? Along with like an escalating uh, escalating salary, because you know sometimes money is a trap, right? It's like, hey, you have this great compensation. Great. Now we want you to start. Listen, let's not think about it as lying, but we are going to deliver this feature. You know, it's not available now, but we just can't talk about it as if it's not yet available. And it's like, well, ethically, that is past where I'm willing to go. Okay, but we need you to do it anyway. It's like, well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave. But if you escalated, you know, and then you might be trapped. You know, if you've escalated your uh, spending along with your compensation. So I think that that is, uh, that is important, you know, and also you make good decisions about who you're actually working for too. So, <laughs> but, um, sometimes you just don't have that option or, you know, you, you've made all the right choices and then all of a sudden all the people change. Right. Yeah. 
And if you're playing Nerd Journey Bingo out there, go back and listen to episode 57 that we did on personal finance in our Planning for Unexpected Career Opportunities series. That's a that's a way back one. I didn't catch that one. I was wondering if I was going into... Somebody's a little more sensitive to talk about personal finances to people, but it, it matters from a career standpoint. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely does. does. It absolutely does. I mean, you know, just the basics of having that emergency fund. And, and I think what's weird is that this is like foundational to like kind of being operational as an adult in our society and being a like solid member of the middle class, if that's what you're aspiring to, or like the upper middle class, you know, like if you're really trying to push things forward and people, you know, there's no class in it. Like you don't have to, (laughs) you don't have to take a class on like managing your finances effectively to graduate from high school and certainly not from college, you know, but, but it is an important life skill. And I think, you know, people like Dave Ramsey who have, you know, written some books like that, you know, there's important lessons there. I think there's probably like the rich dad, poor dad, like, Mm -hmm. you know, automatic millionaire is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, and even just the personal finance for dummies, like that is a great book. Like I, I think I bought that out of college and it, it, it set me up, you know, what's the second best day in a boat owner's life? The day that he buys the boat. Cause the best day is the day that he eventually sells the boat. Uh, you know, cheap <laughs> jokes, but still. Good stuff. That goes along with uh, how to become uh, the fastest way to become a millionaire. Right? That was... Um, start with 10 million? No, no. No? It's like, <laughs> start as a billionaire and then start an airline. And you'll very, very quickly become a millionaire. Nice. Let's Let's go back to your career journey, Andrew. You know, you... You went into management, managing technical marketers, managing SEs before that, and then you took a different turn and got to Pure. So I'm real mm-hmm. curious about how that went, what the motivation was, and what your thoughts are on this industry title of principal. It must have been like a, a heck of a, a sabbatical too. Like a you yeah, know, I'd be interested in knowing like you know how that process set you up and took you in this direction. Airline miles and hotel points are wonderful things. I'll just, I'll just put that out there in general. So uh, if you're traveling and have ability to be flexible there. So um, I do a lot of Hyatt hotels, a lot of United airlines. Those aren't ads for stuff, just being real. So was able to bank enough stuff to be back in Singapore with family, wander around to four or five different countries, you know, kind of a week at a time. Since I have family in Singapore, we can stay there for free. That definitely helps. Uh, but even if not, then you can kind of wander on. And, and I usually do the travel planning. So that sense of like, hey, let's just go. At, at that point, the kids were eight years old turning nine. And just like this is not necessarily a once in a lifetime opportunity, but at that point they were homeschooled. So we actually had some flexibility otherwise. And so like this is just a why not do this now versus like when I'm when they're 18 or when I'm retired or that kind of thing. And even just kind of resetting your brain a little bit, there's sometimes a statement of like, you've got to take two weeks of vacation because the first week is just to totally like kind of let your brain empty out. And then the second week, and of course, this is still a first world problem benefit statement. We can even think about this kind of stuff. Okay. Right. But it was more just to pause and figure out where I wanted to go next uh, because I enjoyed working with folks, hiring folks, building teams, helping people advance in their careers, doing individual contributor stuff. But uh, it was 
it, it takes it out of you after a while, especially if you're trying to do it the the right what you believe is the right way. Although you're you're never meeting up to the aspirational aspect of it, but still you're you're trying. It takes energy. So I had a couple options uh, because I put out kind of an open, just like reaching out to friends and folks that I knew. And when the role came up, and now I'm at Pure Storage, right? So this isn't meant to be a Pure Storage ad, but it's you know why I'm why I'm here. It, it's a mix of the position and the company. So the position is an individual contributor role director level but without direct reports from an organizational standpoint and where you are working both with customers uh, presenting and going deep on technology but also covering in some areas but also covering kind of like portfolio and vision and roadmap strategy but also heavily linked back to product management and engineering and marketing so whether that's webinar presentations or giving feedback on future features and roadmap roadmap pieces and that kind of stuff so it, it wrapped around a lot of the different things that I'd done from a customer side, from an SE side, because it's part of the pre-sales organization to be also principal. Right now, it's principal technologist, office of the CTO as a title. So understanding enough of the lives of the different folks that you're working with. And because it's a semi-defined role, there's some kind of the day-to-day stuff that you, you should be doing. But there's also a large degree of latitude to say, where can I have the most impact? Where are there gaps in the organization that I could fill? Those gaps might change over time. You know, pick something up, then maybe you put it down. So there's a high degree of entrepreneurialism that you can kind of bring into it, which is really a lot of fun. For some folks um, that I've talked to, that sounds, the reaction is like, so what do you do? Or how do you decide what you do? Or it's like, you can figure out what you want to do. That's cool. You know, and you still have to justify and mildly advertise it to show the value of it without being over the top. So when I joined, the title was Principal Systems Engineer. And there was a little bit of a transition where that was kind of at pure a super SE role, if you will. And right when I joined was when it was kind of starting to transition to uh, principal technology strategist and then principal technologist. The core is that you still have technical aptitude and depth, but as pure was growing faster than the size of this team, you couldn't continue to be a super SE being real just because there's too many things there's too many sizing to look at and deep dive this and etc so pure started to hire more overlays in various ways we call them sales solutions architects they go deep on sql or oracle or performance or this or that so there was a need for folks that still had technical background but could be and i i I stole this i put this in one of the blog posts i think that i think you might have read nick about like a nerd who's allowed to talk you know kind of thing um, that you can hopefully put your brain in and out of business gear and technology gear and mix those two. And frankly, I enjoy talking to folks and presenting and storytelling, you know, that kind of thing. The whole, like, the top fears of is going to the dentist. Um, I've had a uh, root canal or two, shame on me, uh, flying, uh, public speaking. Like, I feel like I've kind of run into a lot of the classic fears, but that's also a supply and demand thing. If you like some of that stuff, there aren't as many people that like to do it. And then there's this, you know, kind of sometimes pyramid that follows from a position and and pay standpoint. The one other thought there is that um, I've also thought about in a semi-defined role and you're trying to figure out where you can have impact and what you should do about this kind of a a two-by-two matrix, if you will, of um, if you look at where do you put your time. So on one side is micro and macro. Okay, on the on the uh, maybe that's on the left on the left side, and then you have reactive and proactive. So if you're in an in my case, just to be real, it's an overlay role. Micro reactive, that bucket fills itself over time. You're known to folks. You have you know specific things you're tasked to do, where people see that you're good at doing these things. They pull you into customer meetings. They ask to help with stuff. Cool, great. You're there to do that. We're there. This is. I feel badly. I haven't mentioned the phrase servant leadership earlier, but that's both from a management standpoint. 
but even fundamentally, like I'm, I'm here to help, hopefully help in the best overall way for the organization. But if we need to, you know, sweep the floor to finish up a marketing event and get out the door, cool. That's cool. So micro reactive, you think of macro reactive, maybe that's over time you're getting pulled into bigger initiatives, but it's still, you know, you're getting pulled in the micro proactive well, that's like in this role, it's reaching out to SEs and reaching out to peers and actually seeing new people in the organization that come in in product management or marketing or SE management and reaching out to have these discussions where it's not a, I need something from you, but I'm just looking to get to know you and build a relationship. The macro proactive, that's the fun one. Because sometimes you see executives that uh, they have their pet projects. I think we've probably all seen that. Like they do it because they like it, not because it's good for the business. But if you're in that balance of field engagement, customer engagement, talking with folks, seeing, trying to remember what the real world is like, you can use that, that micro-reactive, to mine that for the stuff that's most beneficial from a macro-proactive standpoint. Examples. If I hear multiple times from an SE standpoint confusion on certain things, working with our enablement team, with our training departments, even sometimes recording stuff internally, maybe writing my own blog posts, um, when COVID hit, had the opportunity to take what would have been a lot of field uh, marketing participation and move that into online stuff and starting up a coffee break series that we've been running now for about a year and we usually have uh, over a thousand folks attend and that's a really fun thing to do. It's more, it's actually more like a VMUG UserCon presentation, by the way. The first half is more solution focused and only in the second half do you get to the like the actual company product stuff. Like that's the right way to do it. I fundamentally believe so. Looking at that stuff so you keep the macro proactive relevant based on the micro-reactive, you know, things that you see, the trends and consistent things. But so it also helps the field, and it, and it maps to what matters. I feel like I went too long and strung together a bunch of random thoughts, but, yeah, back to you. I think that's an interesting matrix for thinking about the types of tasks you have to do and the impact that they could potentially make. I like that. And using one to impact one category to impact another even better. I'm still trying to help but on a, on a wider scale. And mm, I left out the, that was the position. I went on the position for a while. From a peer standpoint, um, I, I fundamentally like what, where peer is going from a strategy perspective. I had a lot of infrastructure background, backup, storage, virtualization, et cetera. And I wanted to keep my career moving, but you can only do that based on just the build versus buy. Like people will hire me for all the existing background. They won't hire me necessarily for the places I want to go. But Pure had just announced a product called Cloud Block Store. Uh, they more recently acquired Portworx. That gets into Kubernetes stuff. It gets legitimately into public cloud stuff. So I don't, don't want to run away from my data center roots because there's a lot of still a lot of neat stuff to geek out about there. But I also want to be in an organization in a position where I can continue growing relative to industry trends instead of being kind of falling behind them in some ways. Got to jump on the cloud bandwagon, <laughs> he said very clearly. I, you know, totally, totally understand, you know. As a uh, as an employee of Google Cloud, I totally understand. <laughs> we actually did a survey on the most recent coffee break. We actually polled people on what topics they wanted to hear about. And it was just all over the place. It was like 10 different ones from cloud to SQL to VMware to just all over. The one that came in the the highest was actually uh, Peers Cloud Strategy, current and future looking kind of thing. It was the highest from a survey. And we had about mm, 800 folks respond to it uh, live, on, live on Zoom. And so it was just, and I was even joking like, oh, I guess cloud isn't just a buzzword, you know. So. <laughs> 
yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because you have to um, really emphasize your your software. You know, that's uh, the the differentiator, especially when you're going to cloud and you can't run your hardware there. <laughs> then then your software becomes the differentiator. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. The um, do you have like a a strong opinion on that principal title, like that? You know, the sense that I get is that that's aligned my understanding of the, of the title and other organizations where you're kind of, you know, at that senior, double senior, triple senior, um, individual contributor. And they're asking you to have this impact radius, um, similar to what a director would have. And thus it's a director level role with probably director level compensation. Um, but not the director level, like management responsibilities. Am I, am I in the right ballpark? Overall, overall, yeah. So, I mean, it, it does vary organization by organization. It can be a little bit of a fuzzy term. And, and sometimes you see um, the smaller the organization, the more that titles are free, right, kind of thing. Like, yeah, you can put anything you want to on your business card. Uh, at, at this point within Pure and some of the organizations, I'll think of uh, VMware. Or even, even let's say IBM, though. IBM goes all the way to, like, fellows, which is, like, a you know a wonderfully cool term in a way. Uh, but the principle is usually – is often – kind of the pinnacle or the height of the individual contributor path within a kind of a technology organization or a technology sales organization. So I do roll up uh, with inside the pre-sales organization. And just being super practical, I map to a region. I help people in the East Enterprise within Pure the most. That's where I get customer calls and engage. But then I, and that's maybe 40, 50% of my time. But then I also do things that are in a national and international scope from a project and webinar and impact standpoint and feature contributions and input, that kind of stuff. And even even some patents. I've had five patents filed while, while I've been at Pure, which actually there's a really cool pro- process that Pure has to encourage that, both from engineering and the field. That's some just neat stuff that I like about being here. But it is a, the, the, it's a little bit of the sense of that someone who comes on, and this now even, I'm going to circle all the way back to where we started that there's a sense of hopefully that I'm experienced and I can bring value to a conversation with a customer and inside the organization. But I'm also hopefully not doing that in a, you must look at me and take me seriously, you know, kind of thing. It, there's the experience and the background for that to hopefully happen more naturally versus like, mm, pay attention to me. Right. You know what good looks like and what you don't want to look like from previous experience. Some level of that being able to navigate around politically and avoid certain things and get stuff done and know how people are motivated. And we even talked about how people are compensated so you can align to different groups and roles in the organization to help get things done. There's not a manual for this stuff. Well, actually, there's a podcast for this stuff. Not a manual, but a podcast for this stuff. There you go. I'll have to um, double down on uh, reading uh, Staff Engineer. That's the book by Will, Will Larson. I think it's a little bit focused more on like software engineering, like the, that, that title of staff engineer, the, you know, where I think the subtitle is like leadership without management or some, something like that, where, you know, you're being looked to more to become a leader and to have a little bit more flexible time and to, to think strategically as part of your job and, you know, enable and, and do force multiplication for other people that, I think there, that book hasn't been written for the pre-sales technical track um, career path, but but maybe somebody could do an adaptation. The the concept of leadership this was borrowed from Chad Sackatch. If we're back in the 
days when it was Vaughn and Chad with NetApp and EMC, and we were all kind of watching from, you know, pop, eating our popcorn as, you know, some of the industry, you know, the Titans slugged it out in various ways. Got to meet Chad at some events and talked to him. And there was one quote that he had, I think it was on Twitter, about that everybody um, is a leader. And we get, because to anybody, you are a leader, right, kind of thing. Someone is looking at you, for better or worse. And that we get more of what we praise. Leaders simply have a larger blast radius. And I, I love that idea of like anybody can send an email to say, you did such a great job, or who's your boss, or just look in the art chart and see, and send that. And we get more of what we praise in an organization. Anybody can do that. Leaders just get to do it more visibly in ways that encourage more. Now, insert some law of unintended consequences there, because you may, if you praise things <laughs> unintentionally, you may not get what you don't, you don't want. But that anybody can put praise out about good behavior and that it should be emulated and valued and make people, you know, frankly, rec help recognize people. That doesn't have to be a manager or boss, anybody. Practice your gratitude. Absolutely. You could make somebody's day just by pointing out something they did that maybe they thought no one else saw. Chad is the one, I think, that I've been copying the phrase blast radius from. And I think maybe he was the one who articulated the idea of the staff and principal levels as having that increased blast radius of the, the well, you're going to be paid on this pay level, so we expect you to have the blast radius of somebody at that pay level, like if you were a manager. Which is a, a wonderfully positive way to take, because it kind of makes your brain hurt like blast radius. Like that's something exploding, right? But in a good way, you know. <laughs> well, Andrew, um, I think that as we close out um, our time together here, I was hoping that maybe you could give us like an overall, like maybe a little bit more of a strategic view. Like how is it that you kind of decide on your like next steps in your career as you move forward? Like, uh, because you've done it a couple different ways, right? You've felt like on the edge of burnout and taken some, taken some time off. You've uh, been in situations where you just decided to take, you know, a, a sabbatical and then you've been in positions where the company was bought out. So like, you know, things change that way, like strategically, like if you're doing things intentionally, what's kind of your guidance on that, how to move forward and, and make that next move. So I, I wish I had this wonderfully thought out strategic answer. Uh, full disclosure. I don't, <laughs> that what I've, what I've found is that doing, it sounds a little trite, but it's, it's representation the last 20 years. You're, you're trying to do your best work no matter who is looking because it is that is who you are. That is your brand. That is your reputation. It's more about living up to your internal standards. And then as opportunity, if you do that uh, and you put yourself in places where companies are growing, you're getting to meet people, not just for like, you know, I want to take advantage of them from the next step of my career. Like you're putting yourself in the right places. Like we said before, the right time eventually comes with some level of leaning into opportunities when they show up uh, because it, they're, they're disguised as hard work, you know, that, that classic thing. So for, for me right now, candidly, um, and I've said this to my boss, so he knows this, I'm, I'm actually really happy in my role because it has enough variety. Like I've, I've taken some initiatives inside the company and I've spent a lot of time on them and done whiteboards and enablement and lightboards and training and public presentations. And then that those areas have grown and they've hired people to help cover those. And I kind of set it down and then I pick up new stuff, you know, but I've had enough consistency of some of the people I work with, with to build good working relationships. So for me right now, I'm actually, I'm not sure candidly where I'm going next from a career standpoint. Um, and if I look back, I didn't have grand plans with each move. It was more of a, 
looking for what looks like a unique opportunity that I can find interesting so you can have the level of motivation to go above and beyond. Because if, if you don't find it interesting, it can be hard to find that inside you to go above and beyond. The last two thoughts are the, uh, always, and this is even just the phrase of, of count your blessings. We've talked about this, just, you know, keeping keeping perspective relatively about how, you know, blessed and fortunate I am. And, and that's not, that is not always easy. That can be very hard sometimes. But that comes through so much in how you present yourself to people, keeping that awareness. Because I think we've all probably met folks who's like, man, I would love their position. And they seem tremendously unhappy in it. And you're like, what's up with that? You know, kind of thing. Well, because it can be easy to get into those emotional spirals and even having folks that can even call you on it sometimes. And then finally, just the idea of um, constantly gathering feedback, both when I'm presenting. I still try and ask for feedback for folks, even though I'm frankly a little more senior. And not just even how did I do, but what's one thing that I could improve or you think might be worth changing? You gather enough of that on a regular basis. I mean, feedback's a gift. You can start to see some patterns, things you can improve, things you might want to go career-wise. You're constantly gathering. And it takes a level of, of humility. But somehow, just by asking for feedback, you get prepared mentally to receive it. It's really hard to take unsolicited feedback. Just like it's humans like, what, what, come on. But when you ask for it, you get yourself in the right frame of mind. And I've had folks who have said, like, you know, you should think about doing this role or doing this thing. So I've actually had folks that I've reached out to over time. And it takes a level of, of trust and even a little bit of vulnerability. So, like, you know, where do you think I should go? What other things do you think I should be able to do? Feels like that's a, a potpourri of tactical items versus the grand strategic answer you might have been hoping for, but that's what I got. Well, that's just a description of the future state career architecture. Like yeah. you just described all the things in the architecture diagram, but it's based on this grand vision, which, you know, we'll just call it the future state career architecture. <laughs> At least Do that's good work. My, my keyword. Do good work, work with good people, have an impact. I'm not be too full of yourself but aware of where you can make an impact and do good work relative to you know relative skill set kind of thing um, and, and keep some keep some joy in it hopefully that's amazing andrew thank you so much for your time yes we appreciate it yeah well we'd love to have you back again and i'm sure that we'll uh uh take a break from this podcast recording to recharge and and come up with interesting new ideas and, and things to chat about in the future thank you so much really enjoyed it back to Andrew's decision about taking a pause he was debating whether he could actually change his current circumstance inside rubric or if it was best to leave and for him it was better to leave not only to leave but to take a break a break to sort out what he wanted to do next because he wasn't 100% clear on what he wanted to do next but he was 100% clear on the fact that he could not sustain what he was doing in the job he was in any longer. I want you to take a pause on the financial aspect of that decision. He didn't just quit one day randomly without thinking it through. He tried to consider all the factors. So my hope for you is that 
if you do decide to take a break, that you're able to do some planning to to make it not completely crippling to your family. And remember, it's always okay to think about whether you're in the right position, whether you're in the right job. It's not bad to do a check-in with yourself now and then. Is this right for me? Is this what I want? How's my situation? Not from a, I must have something better, but an overall, how am I doing? I thought that Andrew's move to Pure was interesting. I liked the exercise he went through, and he had a personal alignment with the company strategy moving forward. When we're about to join a company, do we think about where they're headed, where they're going to be in several years, or at least to the best of our knowledge? Is that in line with some of the things you want? If it's a technology company, are they looking and investing research and development dollars in areas you might like to learn about? When you get into that company, do they seem to be growing? All those factors are are good things to consider. I think the two-by-two approach to where Andrew could make the biggest impact is interesting and probably something we could all utilize to some extent, and that macro-proactive category. He mentioned that being a really fun one. You're helping on a wider scale. In my mind, I think that's probably the hardest one to keep the momentum going on because it takes a lot of thought, preparation, planning, and work to really get that off the ground. So, And I think the ability to make a larger impact really aligns with job satisfaction, regardless of what your role is. If you know that you're making a larger impact for the company, that can contribute to your overall happiness and engagement at that company. Are you making sure that you're in the right place consistently so that eventually you'll be in the right place at the right time? I like the way Andrew phrased it and how he said we generally know where the right place is, And the more we're there, the better the chance is that we can be there at the right time. And with a little luck, great things will happen. Have you ever thought about the fact that someone right now is looking to you as a leader in some way, an example of what good looks like or what they could be? Think about that. Would that change the way you act or what you do in any way, shape, or form? And, of course, they talk about Blast Radius, which reminds me of our series of episodes that started with 158, The Andy Surwich. I hope you enjoyed this trilogy. I think it was great talking to Andrew, and you can easily see that he's been intentional throughout his entire career, and it certainly showed in the interviews we had with him. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. And much like Andrew, we believe that feedback is a gift. So if you have some for us, please send it our way. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, flying solo for now. For my buddy John White, happy journeyman, signing off.